You're listening to The Encounter Podcast, featuring the latest messages and teachings by David Diga Hernandez. Don't forget to subscribe. The Encounter Podcast, encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I want to expose the number one threat to your prayer life, and no, it's not the devil. It's yourself. I want to show you how the flesh can hinder your prayer life so that you can overcome and thrive in prayer. We begin by going to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that ye would, or you can't do the things that you want to do. Why? Because the flesh, the sin nature, that old programming, is constantly fighting us. Now, it's important that we not identify with that aspect of that nature. It's important that we not find our identity in the flesh, but we must acknowledge that there is another force at work there. There are old desires that every so often try to make their comeback. Though we do not identify with those, we must take responsibility in subjecting the flesh. Now, the flesh desires against the spirit. That means any desire that the Holy Spirit has given to you, the flesh will fight. The desire to read the word, the flesh will fight. The desire to go to church, the desire to worship, the desire to evangelize, the flesh will fight all these, especially the flesh will fight the desire to pray. Why? Because prayer is the death of the flesh. That's why when you go to pray, it seems like there's this inner squirming, this fight, this resistance, because the flesh knows that as you pray, you are subjecting it. The flesh knows that as you pray, it's losing influence. Now, it's important also to remember at this point that sometimes when the scripture talks about the flesh, it's talking about the physical body. And other times when the scripture is talking about the flesh, it's talking about the sin nature or that tendency toward disobedience. Though, again, that is not who you truly are, it is still something that on this side of eternity you'll have to combat. Now, there is also some crossover. Why? Because sometimes the flesh, the sin nature, can make use of the flesh, the physical body. But we must subject and discipline both. Matthew chapter 26, verses 39 to 41. And he went a little farther, and this is attached near the crucifixion narrative where Jesus is about to face that ultimate sacrifice that he has to make. And now he's praying, he's preparing. He's just on the cusp of having to step into this moment for which he has been ordained, the Lamb of God now about to be slain. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now I'll stop here. We're going to read the next couple of verses in just a moment. But can we just take a moment to appreciate the sacrifice that the Lord made for us? Here, he's praying that if there's another way to accomplish this, that that, of course, would be his preferred way. So he didn't necessarily desire the pain. Of course not. He didn't desire the agony. Of course not. Rather, he desired to be obedient. He desired to save you and I. He desired to accomplish the work for which his father had sent him here. And so he has this moment where he is praying now and submits himself to the will of the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but your will be done. Where is the preaching on the cross these days? When do we hear about the death of self? We need to begin to talk about these things again. The sacrifice of Christ, the power of the cross, the power of the blood, the crucified life, the surrendered life, death to self. These are the things, these are the teachings, these are the truths that hold in them true power. Continuing now, verse 40. He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? So here, in his moment of vulnerability, the disciples couldn't even stay up with him to pray. Here he is agonizing. Here he is praying. Here he is surrendering his life, laying himself down, and the disciples are asleep. And here he says in verse 41, something very insightful. Of course, everything Jesus says is insightful, but insightful as it pertains specifically to the topic of prayer. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So this instruction comes in the context of the disciples not being able to pray because they fell asleep. Now, again, referring back to what I mentioned just a few moments ago, sometimes there is some crossover between flesh, as in sin nature, and flesh, as in the physical body, though these are two separate ideas or two separate components. Uh, but here we see that crossover and how it affected them directly as it pertained to their commitment to prayer. The Holy Spirit gives us the desire to pray, but we must implement the discipline to pray. The Holy Spirit gives us the desire to pray, but we must make the decision to pray. People often ask, how do I pray consistently? How do I pray more? The answer is simple, but not easy. In order to pray consistently, you have to choose to pray consistently. In order to pray more, you have to choose to pray more. There's no formula. There's no gimmick. There's no magic prayer that you can pray to cause yourself, to force yourself to do something for God, nor is there anything that God will do to override your free will. You must choose to exercise your free will unto the discipline of the Holy Spirit. The flesh wars against the Spirit. When you go to pray, the flesh will fight that. When you go to pray, the flesh will look for a way out. And this is why we have to be careful, and please hear me when I say this, we have to be careful about the excuses we allow ourselves to believe about our ability to commit to certain things. We would rather that somebody lay hands on us. We would rather that someone would pray disobedience out of us. But here's the reality. You can cast out devils, but you can't cast you out of you. You see, demons go when the Holy Spirit is present. However, the flesh doesn't come and go. The flesh shrinks and grows. The flesh becomes weaker or becomes stronger, depending upon whether or not you walk in obedience to the word of God. Now, a while ago, I had a dream slash vision. I say dream slash vision because I can never really tell the difference. Sometimes I wonder, was I awake when that happened? But I know it was from the Lord. And in this, we'll just call it a dream for now. Sometimes I call it a vision. Sometimes I call it a dream. But again, I'm not quite sure. And I'm not trying to sound spiritual, you know, like Paul the Apostle. I don't know if it was a dream or a vision. I really just don't know if I was asleep or not. And so 
in this dream that I had, I saw myself. And within me was this orb of light. It was just glowing. And laid over this orb of light was a layer of dirt. And resting upon this layer of dirt were all of these structures that resembled buildings. Now, whenever the orb would shrink, the layer of dirt would become uneven and the structures would topple. But whenever the orb would grow to its correct size, the layer of dirt would then become perfectly even and the structures would stand upright. The Holy Spirit revealed to me that the orb was a prayer life. It was daily submission to God. When that began to weaken, the dirt, which was me as an individual, began to become uneven, inconsistent, unreliable. And when I became uneven, inconsistent, unreliable, then the structures which represented all of my God-given responsibilities began to fall over. Marriage, ministry, parenthood, and so forth. So as we begin to submit to God daily, the influence of the Spirit begins to take over. And this is why, again, the flesh will fight you because the flesh wants influence, specifically the sin nature. That wants influence. It wants to consume its cravings. It wants to be carried away by its own desires. It wants to be distracted, but the Spirit disciplines the flesh. The Spirit subjects the flesh. The Spirit grabs the flesh by the neck and says, you will submit to the will of God. And that is how we must treat the sin nature like the other person. Again, this is not to say that we aren't responsible for the mistakes that we make. Of course, God holds us personally accountable when we choose compromise, and there is judgment for that in the sense that God corrects and disciplines. However, that still is not who we truly are. I like to say that when you sin, when you make a mistake, the good news is that you're a fake. People say, what? How is that good news? It's good news because you're a fake sinner. You are not a wolf in sheep's clothing. You are a sheep trying to fit into wolf's clothing. That's, of course, if you're a true born-again believer. And this is not a license to sin because no true born-again believer would say, okay, that's wonderful, now I can go on living how I want. No true believer thinks that way for the Holy Spirit gives us new desires. Anyway, that tangent aside, let's proceed to see how the flesh begins to affect our prayer life. Number one, the flesh doubts. Isn't it amazing that we tried to put limitations on God in the name of wisdom? Isn't it amazing that all too often we pray according to what we imagine is reasonable? Well, what does the scripture say? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine according to the power that worketh within us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's empowering grace within us. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 6, but when you ask him, that is when you pray, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. When you approach God with a wavering double mind, it's very difficult to stand firm in faith, and it is only by faith that we receive and become all that God desires. It is only by faith that we access the heavenly realm. It is only by faith that we become the people that God has called us to be. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of that which is not seen. Faith is what pleases God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is that which exports the heavenly and brings it to the earthly realm. When you approach God in prayer, don't approach God with second-guessing, reservations, and hesitation. Instead, when you approach God, come boldly before the throne, not begging him to hear you. Please hear me, children of God. Not begging him to hear you, but believing that he already does. So many Christians think that prayer is a negotiation with God wherein you try to get him to pay attention to you. So many think that when they approach prayer, they're approaching a reluctant God who doesn't really want to give you his attention or his help, but will do so if you pray for long enough and with enough passion. No, when you approach the Heavenly Father, remember, he is welcoming you in. He, he is overjoyed when you pray. He's blessed by your presence. He loves you. And we have to remember this because otherwise we spend time begging God, please hear me, please see me, please connect with me. My friend, we don't pray to connect with God. We pray from connection with God. So come boldly. Don't doubt. Don't waver. Don't second guess. And don't pray within your own limitations according to what you think is reasonable. Instead, pray to the Lord and pray with great faith. You're not praying to yourself. You're not praying in your own ability. You're praying to him. Number two, the flesh causes distraction. In Romans chapter eight, verses five through eight, the scripture says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. This is an incredible insight here we're being given. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Here the scripture is very clearly telling us that when you're in the flesh, all you think about are things of the flesh. And when you're in the spirit, your interests are spiritual. Here's a great measure of whether or not you're in the spirit. Monitor your thoughts. What goes through your mind? What consumes your thoughts? When you wake up, what's the first thing you think about? When you go to bed, what's on your mind? People often say, well, I don't necessarily have time to pray. I don't have time to read the word. My friend, you don't have time not to. I might butcher this statement, but something to the effect was said by, something to this effect was said by a missionary, I believe. He said, I have so much to do today. There is so much in my schedule. I'm more busy than usual. Therefore, I will pray for two hours instead of one. You see, sometimes we see prayer or commitment to the things of God, though we might not word it this way, sometimes in the back of our minds, I should say, we treat the things of God as if they are a setback. But my friend, you can accomplish more in a prayer-filled day than you can in a prayerless month. That is, when you invite the strength of the Holy Spirit to aid you in your every moment, you begin to run with swiftness. You move in his strength and not your own. Many of us are tired simply because we're giving from the wrong source. So this distraction of the flesh really is something that we have to get a hold of because 
Many believers may fret and say, I have no time to pray, but my friend, you cannot tell me you don't have time to pray if you're caught up on your latest Netflix series. You cannot tell me you don't have time to pray if you're scrolling through TikTok or Instagram for hours and hours a day. You cannot tell me you don't have time to pray if you spend hours and hours on YouTube, hours and hours playing games, hours and hours in frivolous conversation. There's nothing wrong with recreation and relaxation. And this is not a message of condemnation, nor am I saying uh, that you can't have a moment of rest. But this is a message of correction because we are out of balance if we don't have time to pray. If the pace of your life is too busy for prayer, the pace of your life is too busy. If you're so distracted that you cannot pray, then there's something fundamentally wrong with the way you think and function in your thought patterns. And this is why we have to come back to the place of submission to the Holy Spirit, where we say, okay, I recognize that I'm very distracted. I recognize that I'm carried away so easily by the cares and the concerns of this world, by the responsibilities that have been rested on my shoulders. That is why we have to ask for the Holy Spirit's help to refocus us when our minds get distracted. When I first began to pray, I made a commitment in my mind and I said, I want to pray for at least one hour a day. This is when I first got saved. This is when I first started committing to prayer. And so what I would do is I would lock myself in my room. I would begin to pray. And as I'm praying, 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 I thought to myself, surely at least 45 minutes have passed. Surely at least 30 minutes have passed. And I would look at the clock only to find that only five minutes had passed. Why? Because when you're in the flesh, prayer seems to take a very long time. When you're in the spirit, prayer goes by like that. Think of prayer like digging a well. Every shovel is full of dirt until you strike water. And some of us have a lot of dirt over the well. We haven't prayed in a long time. We haven't submitted to God in a long time. We haven't made contact with the heavenly in a long time. We haven't read the word in a long time. And so there are layers and layers and layers of dirt over top of the well. So when you first go to pray, it may take you three hours, four hours, five hours to strike that water of the spirit. But so long as you've uncovered it and leave it uncovered, you can enter the spirit like that. Don't allow the layers of dirt to pile up through distraction. Leave that well open. And if there's some dust that settles over the top of the surface of the water, then clean that out on a daily basis so that you don't get back to the point where there's this huge pile of dirt covering your well. And now you have to go back to praying an hour or two before you can break through. Because once you break through, and here's something that only those who have broken through can understand. Maybe you've been there to where you go to pray and you just enter right in. Look, I understand the Holy Spirit dwells in all of us, but I'm talking about the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit around us to where you go to pray and there's just this flow that you hit right away. And now it's not a matter of saying, how much longer do I have? Oh my goodness, I have to pray another 30 minutes or come on, you can make it. Try to force yourself to just hang in there till the hour mark. No, once you cross over into that flow of the Spirit, you're not trying to count the minutes so that you can fulfill your obligation or so you see it as an obligation. Instead, you are basking, not in the obligation, but in the opportunity that you have to be fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, enjoying the glory of his presence to where now an hour goes by, two hours go by, 
And it seems like only five minutes. That's how fast it goes by when you finally hit that flow in the spirit. But you want to hit that flow, you have to get through distraction. You have to uncover initially all that dirt that's been piling up all this time. It's not always going to take you forever to strike the water. So long as once you finally do uncover that well, you leave it uncovered through consistent daily prayer. And so that's how I was. I was so in the flesh that it took me forever to find that flow in the spirit. And finally, when the well became uncovered, it was just a matter of keeping that well clean. Again, maybe just skimming the surface of the water to remove some dust that had uh, found its way in there throughout the day through small compromises that I didn't recognize. And now the Holy Spirit just guides me and helps me and he can do the same for you. But you have to avoid the distractions of the flesh. You have to stay committed Once you're in that prayer room, say, I'm going to stay committed. And the flesh will go, well, what about the bills? Well, what about that relationship? Well, what about the ministry? Well, what about that TV show? Or did you hear what was on the news today? Or shouldn't you go fulfill that obligation, that opportunity? Shouldn't you finish that task before you come and pray? Hey, aren't you feeling a little hungry? Maybe go have a little snack and then come back. You need to say, no, be quiet. I'm flowing with the Spirit. I'm subjecting the flesh. You can wait. That can wait. That that has to be set aside for now so that I can focus in and really hone in on the Spirit and find that flow with the Holy Spirit. And that really, again, is something that is for every believer. Prayer doesn't have to feel like some menial task. And the plain, ordinary settings of your bedroom can become the heavenly realm if you simply allow the Holy Spirit to guide you to the place where you're subjecting the flesh to the point where it's now quiet, has nothing left to say. It's exhausted itself trying to distract you. And now you're just flowing. Now you're just moving in the spirit. Now there's this peace, this joy. And really, once you've subjected yourself to that, there's there's nothing that can really dissuade you from prayer. I wasn't going to go here, but I want to show you something. there's, There's this idea let me, let me show you here. This is, this is something I think is so key that, that we, we, we master. And I don't want to say that in a way that's legalistic, like it depends on you. But, but to where we master this, this type of thought process, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'll word it that way. Uh, go to Philippians chapter 4. I wasn't going to show you this, but I think it's important here. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, and go to, go to verse number 6. Look at what it says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What a statement. Did you know that worry is your useless attempt at control? Worry is an attempt at control. Did you know that worry, hear me now, worry is how your flesh prays. Many times we say we're praying about it when really all we're doing is worrying about it. Worry is how your flesh prays. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So here you can see that it's possible to come with come to the Lord with a prayer request to request of him while still being thankful for him. It does not demonstrate a lack of gratitude for you to pray for certain things. You can pray for the job promotion. You can pray for financial increase. You can pray for the car to be fixed. You can pray for your marriage to be restored. You can pray for your healing. That's fine as long as you remain grateful for what God has done and recognize that he owes us nothing. 
There's nothing wrong with making these prayer requests to God as long as we trust in the sovereign hand with which he moves. Now, verse 7 says this. Watch this now. This is so key. Then you will experience God's peace. So there's a condition to the peace that's experienced. What's the condition? It's the prayer request. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Okay, what does this have to do with distraction? Everything to do with distraction. Because it's easy to remove external distraction, right? Matthew 6, 6, go to your room, lock the door, go away privately. You turn off the phone. You tell your loved ones, hey, I can't be disturbed for this block of time here. And now you've done away with the practical distractions. But what do you do about the distractions of the soul? What do you do about that inner chaos? And so often, hear me now, so often we say things like, wow, that inner distraction didn't even show up until I started to pray. No, my friend, it's not that the inner chaos showed up when you started to pray it's that it was revealed when you started to pray. You're just never quiet enough to listen to what's happening on the inside of you. And so when we go to pray now, there's no distractions. We're quiet, we're focused, and then we can begin to hear, oh, that's what's going on in me. Well, no wonder so many are walking around with this weight and this heaviness and this fear and this confusion because there's this inner chatter, this inner dialogue of the flesh that's constantly going and we're never quiet enough to allow it to be exposed. But here, the scripture says, tell God what you need. Then thank him for all he has done. So you can make a prayer request while remaining grateful and then you will experience God's peace. When? When you make your prayer request. Why? Because when you give God your prayer request, you know that list that we have? It's like, it's like this. We have like a piece of paper, right? We have a piece of paper and a pen. And we write down all the things we have to worry about. Marriage, parenthood, finances, ministry responsibilities, um, issues on the job, issues with friends, issues with family, maybe internal issues. Maybe there's a heaviness. Maybe there's a fear. Maybe there's intrusive thoughts. Oh, and don't forget about church attendance and don't forget about evangelism and don't forget about improving in holiness and don't forget about uh, checking off um, those, those spiritual tasks like prayer, reading the word, worshiping, uh, intercessory prayer. Did I finish that book? And all, on and on and on, we have this list. And then we want to go and pray. Well, this is all still in our hearts. When, 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 you, when, you, when you have your prayer request, when you come to the Lord with your prayer request, here's what you do. You take that list and you say, here, I need you to take this. And he takes it. And now, now that he's taken that for the moment, I'm not saying you don't bear any responsibility for making sure those things don't happen. Of course, you, sh you still should be a good spouse. You still should be a good parent. You still should work as unto the Lord on your job. Christians should be the most diligent workers. That's a different topic for a different day. You still have to do those things. But the worry of them, I give them to you. I put them in your capable hands and I trust that you're going to do it. I trust that you're going to help me to do what is my responsibility to do. And now when you've given him those prayer requests, watch this now. I've given him the prayer request. Now the peace of God fills me. Here's the problem. And this is where many Christians make their mistake because of the flesh. We think that prayer is all about just coming to the place where we feel good. We think prayer is about feelings instead of recognizing that it's about fellowship. 
So now I come to the Lord, I've given him my burdens. Then the peace of God, the scripture says, fills my heart with, with, with overflowing. So now I'm filled with the peace. And so here's what many of us do. We come to the prayer room, we're distracted. We give him our prayer requests. We give him our needs. We give him our worries. Here you go, Lord, take it, right? We surrender those things of the flesh. We stop trying to pray in the flesh. That is called worrying. And we instead pray to the Lord, give it to him truly. And then we feel the peace but here's the mistake many Christians made. We go, here's my list, God. His peace fills the heart. We say, oh, I feel better. Thank you, Lord. And then we leave the prayer room. Hear me now. Peace is not the conclusion of prayer. Peace is the beginning of it. Many of us think we should just stop praying. Oh, I feel better now. I feel the peace of God. Thank you, Lord. And we walk out of that prayer room. Look, there's nothing wrong with giving God prayer requests. There's nothing wrong with asking of him and from him. That's perfectly fine. He's a good father. He wants to give us those things. But if that becomes the, 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 the culmination of why you pray, if that is the end result, you're missing so much more because when you give him those prayer requests, You've unburdened yourself now. You've taken off the backpack of burdens so that you can now climb the mountain of glory. You've taken off the backpack of burdens so you can now climb freely the mountain of glory. Peace is the gate of glory. Peace is the entryway. Once I'm filled with that peace, oh my goodness, now it's time to pray. Now it's time to just fellowship. Unhindered, no worries, no thought of what's going on around me. I'm living, you can say it, it's negative if you want. You can say it's naive if you want. I don't care. I'm living in the bubble of God's glory. This isn't to say that we're ignorant of the things of this world. This isn't to say that we don't pretend like nothing bad ever happens. This isn't to say that we don't bear any responsibility for what God has called us to do. Of course, bad things happen. Of course, we should be vigilant. Of course, we have responsibilities. But when you live in the bubble of that glory, nothing disturbs that inner peace. Chaos all around, peace within. So when you're going through trials, you live in that. Why? Because I'm giving him my burdens. But you're never going to get there if the flesh is distracting you. You're never going to get there if you're constantly worried about the cares of this world. So number one, the flesh doubts. Number two, the flesh is distraction, distracted. Number three, the flesh disobeys. And disobedience disrupts prayer. Psalm 66, 17 through 19 let me kind of throw in a caveat here because this is an Old Testament writing. The Old Testament is not something we just throw out. Rather, the Old Testament is something we filter through the cross and see through the perspective of the new covenant. But still, there's some application to be had here in Psalm chapter 66, verses 17 through 19. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God, who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love for me. Now, at first, this may seem like a catch-22. After all, how can I go and approach him for forgiveness if I can't approach him when I'm not forgiven? That's not at all what this is saying. And I'm not saying you can't approach God if there's compromise. You can approach God, but when you do approach God in a compromised state, there's going to be heavy conviction. Uh, this is why I say uh, believers, well, true born-again believers, cannot live in persistent willful sin. It's too tormenting for them. They just, they wouldn't be able to handle it. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, the grieving of the Holy Spirit would be so strong. Ephesians 4.30. 
We are sealed by the Spirit, the Scripture says in Ephesians 4.30, but that same Spirit who seals us grieves in us. So when we make a mistake, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave, He grieves. And that grieving can become so intense, that conviction becomes so heavy, that for a born-again believer, it is, it is not really possible for them to continue to persist in willful sin without conviction. If that's something you're doing, well, then you need to make sure that you're actually born again. But that's a different message for a different time. Let's focus here on Psalm 66, where it talks about this hindered fellowship as a result of sin. It's not necessarily that when you make a mistake, God cuts off your salvation. And that's not a license to sin, by the way. It's not necessarily that every time you have a mess up that God cuts you off. If that were the case, you'd be saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved constantly, and you never know if you were truly born again or not. Uh, nor am I commenting on the once saved, always saved uh, debate. That's neither here or there. I'm simply saying that this idea that when we make a mistake, that the relationship we have with God is so fragile that any mistake is going to be the undoing of it, then we have a, a perspective that needs adjustment. But focusing specifically here on the application I'm trying to glean from Psalm 66, 17 through 19, we see that there is, in fact, this hindrance to fellowship. There is this, this, this issue that arises. And this is because, as a born-again believer, when you are living in disobedience, it's very difficult to overcome the flesh, which is filled with shame and the distraction of your past. Think about how it breaks your confidence in your relationship with God when you're filled with shame. Holiness and righteousness matter. I want to say that again. Holiness and righteousness matter. Anyone who tells you that there are no consequences for sin is, is, is just preaching a doctrine of demons. Holiness matters. In fact, we have a New Testament reference that tells husbands that if they mistreat their wives, God is not going to hear their prayers. Now, how the dynamics of all of this work in the spirit, whether God completely ignores you or not, or whether there's this internal conflict within, those specific dynamics aren't given to us. All that we know is that disobedience makes it very difficult to pray. Disobedience makes it very difficult to have that fellowship with God while also having peace. And in fact, if you are walking in disobedience, then as you enter again into that acknowledgement of that fellowship, that awareness of that fellowship, then that compromise is going to be corrected. And this is why we have to watch our lives because if you are living in compromise, the last place your flesh is going to want to be is in the prayer room. You ever notice that after you make a mistake, the last place you want to be is church? The last thing you want to do is pray. The last thing you want to do is read the word. Why? Because now the flesh has gained influence and the flesh operates in shame, not conviction. What's the difference? What's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is of the devil and of the flesh. Conviction says you made a mistake. Get it right. Condemnation says you are a mistake. You'll never be right. Conviction draws you closer to God in repentance and humility. Condemnation pushes you further from God in shame. So correct those things in your life that ought to be corrected. Don't look back, look forward. Forget those things which are behind you and press on toward the high calling. Press on toward the goal. Press on to your pursuit of Jesus. Number one, flesh doubts. Number two, it's distracted. And number three, it disobeys. Correct 
these things and watch your prayer life thrive. Father, I thank you that you are touching each one receiving this now. And I pray, precious Holy Spirit, that you would give us a mantle of prayer. Draw us to the secret place and help us to respond to that drawing. Give us grace, Lord. Remind us to be diligent about the heavenly things. And may we sense your presence. May they sense your presence even now. Let your power flow, Lord. Heal them, deliver them, break every bondage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to The Encounter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Support the podcast by becoming a monthly supporter or making a one-time donation now. To give, just go to davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Until next time, remember, nothing is impossible with God.